10 o'clock on Wednesday morning. We are back. Warp and Woof Radio, radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site, along with my producer, my brother, my twin, Harold H.B. Bell. He is uh, going to spin some tunes for us here today. I have a special request, something that we don't uh, normally uh, hit uh, right away, but uh, need to make, make this comment. Hollering out to our co-host, our brother, uh, our concerns for him this morning as he is in the ER, uh, Dr. Clyde Posley. Uh, we're not quite sure about uh, the malady yet, but uh, I got the phone call from him this morning. He will not be with us today. So those of you tuning in uh, from his church, we're grateful for your presence. Uh, looking forward to the podcast later on. For those of you who might hear about this later on, uh, we are especially concerned, obviously, for our brother who is going to be uh, somebody who's uh, being looked at right now. So uh, lift up a prayer for Dr. Clyde Posley today, right now, and then throughout the day. And uh, check, check us out on Facebook, uh, Twitter. We'll be giving updates about his condition and specifically about uh, the concerns that we might have going into the future. But this morning, we are blessed to have in our presence uh, three great guests. Uh, we have Nadia Miller and Lisa Hayes, who are here in studio right now. We're going to be talking about the Red Alliance and the specific concerns, of course, for African-American women as it relates to breast cancer. And then in our second hour, we are going to uh, have Brian Reeder, who is the chief officer, the chief uh, of IMPD over uh, making sure that everything runs smoothly at IMPD. Looking forward to having Brian Reeder with us in the second hour. And in that hour, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to live as a Christian in the public sphere. You do not want to miss our second hour. But right now, uh, we are glad to uh, give the presence and the microphones to Nadia Miller and to Lisa Hayes. Welcome, ladies. Thank you ever so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's our pleasure to be here. Uh, we're grateful. Uh, thank you so much for making the effort over. I know, uh, man, I had tornadic winds at my house last night, and there's water everywhere in Indianapolis. So <laughs> we hope that you're all, all doing well. <laughs> <laughs> Doing well, just like everybody else, tired of this winter. Of go course. away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> please go right. away. More, more white flakes in the air this morning. I could not believe it. Uh, and please give uh, your good man uh, a hug for me when you see him. Uh, I just, uh, just love this man, uh, Dr. Hayes, and uh, the wonderful work that he does at, at your church. Thank you so much Thank for uh, making that connection for me. Uh, just talked with him on the phone, actually, the other day. Talking, he told me. Yeah, talking, <laughs> talking about college, man, and, and grad school and all those good things. Right. So, Eric, bless you, brother. Looking forward to the next time we get the chat. So, uh, this morning, ladies, uh, we are here because of your great concern and your great work on behalf of the Red Alliance. And we're really grateful. Uh, it was a, a real privilege for me uh, last year, was it, or maybe two years ago, to be involved in that uh, that event where we had uh, this great panel discussion about such things. Right. So give us just some uh, some overview of the Red Alliance. Tell us about what you do, why this is so important to you. I'm just going to let you talk at us and uh, hear what you have to say today. All right. Am I starting, Nadia? You are starting. We're, okay. First, let me say both Nadia and I are breast cancer survivors. Going on, you're at 11 already. 11. I hit 11 uh, next month. So uh, that is part of the reason for our passion. Uh, about uh, this, these issues, but for both of us, uh, for uh, our 11 years of survivorship as in breast cancer, uh, we have become advocates mm -hmm. um, about breast cancer health, uh, about uh, empowering and educating women to take care of their health. Um, our work had, 
led us to be uh, very involved in starting uh, a new non-for-profit organization, which is called the Red Alliance. A Red Alliance stands for Reaching to End Disparities. Mm -hmm. And the impetus for this, the formation uh, of the Red Alliance, was because uh, several years ago, there was data and research discovered that showed that right here in Indianapolis, uh, African-American women are 42% more likely to die from uh, breast cancer uh, than our Caucasian counterparts. So uh, there was a group of us, including Nadia and I, that thought that was a significant uh, community health issue that needs to be addressed right here uh, in Indianapolis. So uh, make a long story short, that, that led to the formation of the Red Alliance, uh, of which I now serve as the executive director, mm -hmm. and Nadia is on the uh, board of uh, directors and also heads up our uh, faith-based outreach initiative, mm -hmm. um, which we can talk later about some of the uh, initiatives uh, sure. of the Red Alliance. Sure, wonderful. Nadia, you have anything to add to that uh, from uh, after hearing what Lisa had to say? No, I think that uh, Lisa is spot on um, as far as that in our involvement and in how we got started with the Red Alliance. Personally, I am involved um, from uh, the standpoint that I, I also echo the sentiment that it is most important that um, that when we became advocates, it was also to ensure that the community was getting the information that they needed. Mm -hmm. um, the entire community, and so, no, I would, uh, we, we share the same. Sure, same, same passions. Same. And, Absolutely. And you also are invested, and perhaps you both are, but I, I just doing some research uh, on you, Nadia, uh, yesterday, uh, your emphasis on Pink Forever. Could you tell us a little bit about that? I'm sure. Um, Pink Forever is a, a local non for profit here um, in Indianapolis that I co-founded about uh, 10 years ago with my brother, John. Mm -hmm. um, we had um, experienced some um, death in our family and also the disparity of breast cancer hit our older sister very young. Mm. And so she had succumbed to the disease about the age of 30 and then two years later I was diagnosed. And so we, uh, while we were, uh, I was going through treatment, kind of the same thing that's going on now, at that particular time, about 10 years ago, we weren't seeing a lot of information that was geared towards um, African American women. And so uh, to make a long story short, we uh, founded the organization to specifically focus on education and outreach. Mm -hmm. And then we, uh, the Pink Forever organization provides resources, mammograms for underinsured and uninsured women. And then also we have an emergency assistance fund that are non-granted funds that come directly from the community to help individuals with, you know, common needs that are often forgotten about groceries, daycare, prescriptions and chemotherapy and things like that. And so, um, through our work, it just makes perfect sense that we came on as a community partner um, with the Red Alliance mm -hmm. to continue uh, to further our reach, but then also um, to make sure that we were doing our due diligence as far as making sure that we are aligning ourselves with organizations that have um, the same mission and vision and ultimately the same impact in the community. Mm. Let's, uh, let's stay on that idea of mission and uh, vision here for just a moment. Uh, between the two organizations, perhaps, but the concern, you know, in your word, Red Alliance, you have the word alliance. Yes. So, so there needs to be this kind of collaborative emphasis throughout a community. Talk to us a little bit about that importance of that collaboration between individuals as well as institutions and nonprofits. You, you picked up on the key part of the Red Alliance. I, I love that because that's that's the <laughs> message that we're trying to get across the community is that it is truly a 
uh, collaboration between uh, individual advocates as well as uh, health systems, um, service organizations, uh, support organizations, um, uh, any organization, individual, including the faith-based community that might have any impact on helping us to reach our mission, which is to eliminate that disparity that we talked about. Not, not only is there a death rate disparity, uh, African-American women uh, typically are diagnosed at a later stage mm -hmm. of breast cancer. And the impact of that, of course, is it makes your treatment more difficult and it leads to higher death rates. Mm -hmm. So um, kind of the model of the Red Alliance is to bring all these organizations together mm -hmm. and to collectively work toward this goal of e reducing and e hopefully eventually eliminating that disparity. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, Pink Forever, uh, it, kind of serves as a, a perfect partner for for the Alliance because of the work that they've done. And, and not to discount others, because everybody that's part of the Alliance uh, does their share. But Nadia and I have a, a similar path uh, to the place where we are now. She mentioned that Pink Forever started about 10 years ago while she was in treatment. I started at Genesaret Free Clinic six weeks after I can completed my, my own breast cancer treatment. Uh, Genesaret Free Clinic is also one of the Alliance partners. Um, there, I direct our uh, women's health program where we focus on providing screening and diagnostic services uh, related to breast and cervical cancer for people, women who are uninsured or underinsured or who can't otherwise get the services that they need in the community. And so um, similar things, we go, a different, go about a different way uh, sure. of addressing it, but then we come together to, uh, to try to find some solutions to the disparity issues. Hence the idea of alliance, yeah, the exactly. importance of that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So just uh, this is probably a good time for uh, a commercial break. We're coming up on uh, on a time for that. Get take a one song break and then come back. But also a commercial perhaps for nonprofits and our alliance together. Uh, it's interesting uh, that the f whole focus of this radio show from the beginning has been Titus three one eight and fourteen. Do good, do good, do good. And our focus is to find Christians, Christian groups around Indianapolis who are doing good. And that's the whole point of this, is to promote you and to tell people about you and to let folks know. So even though we may not necessarily be on your masthead someplace, we are certainly behind you cheering on the sidelines, and this is a very important process. Uh, we certainly want to understand this, not only for uh, women in our community, but whoever hears this broadcast, and this broadcast goes around the world, so you never know who might be listening, and the opportunities perhaps that promotion of your good work might go to other people in other places. You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio, Cominius Institute's sponsored radio show. We're going to take a one-song break and be right back. And we are back, Warp and Woof Radio at radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site, and we have... Uh, just been having a little bit of a conversation here during our break time, uh, reminding everybody that uh, our radio show has been around uh, now going on three, yeah, two years for sure. Uh, this actually we started in February, so uh, I think uh, we're coming up on an anniversary here sometime soon. We just did our 100th show down at the State House, had a great time down at the State House in January, and of course now we are focused on. Um, making connections throughout the community, of course. And in studio today, we have the Red Alliance and uh, Pink Forever. We have Nadia Miller and Lisa Hayes. Again, ladies, thank you ever so much for being here. We're grateful for your presence. Uh, please, uh, let's, we kind of miss this, and I usually start this way, so uh, let's back up and say, why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourselves and uh, give us a little bio and uh, tell us whatever you would like to tell us about where you come from, your family, your churches, your influence in the communities. 
You can start. <laughs> well, I am a uh, I am a, a proud member of the Antioch Missionary Baptist Church that um, our senior pastor, Doctor, your very own Doctor Clyde Posley Jr. Um, uh, I am uh, I am a uh, originally from Indianapolis. I'm a mom um, of a 13 year old little girl. Um, as far as my uh, professional work, I am an uh, am a entrepreneur here in the community. Of course, um, Pink Forever, and then also um, I speak and teach um, regarding breast health and education. Um, and just most recently, back in October of last year, um, I had released a curriculum on behalf of our organization to do this very thing, to continue to educate the community. It's been about 15 years in corporate America yeah. um, and uh, kind of ventured out on my own after that. And, um, but my passion, and I, I really feel like my real purpose is the advocacy and the ministry of uh, women, mm. um, specifically um, in the community that I work in, I worship in, and I live in. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Lisa, how about you? I am also an uh, Indianapolis native, and um, actually you've mentioned my husband, Eric, who mm-hmm. pastors the Restoration Baptist Church. He and I both grew up here, uh, attended the same church mm-hmm. at that time, First Baptist Church, and um, as we never really... Uh, we're friends growing up, but as we were older, uh, we began dating and, and married. So, um, but I am now obviously a member of uh, the church that he founded, Restoration Baptist Church. Um, I mentioned earlier that I am also the uh, director of Women's Health Services at Genesis Free Clinic that I started there. Um, well, now it's been almost 11 years, but prior to that, I had had a career as uh, a lawyer here in mm-hmm. Indianapolis. Uh, but my um, my breast cancer experience led me to have the desire to do something else, to do something that was um, giving back more to the community, particularly um, community members who uh, face challenges or barriers, um, seeking, accessing, and, and receiving um, health services, mm-hmm. and in particular breast health services. So mm-hmm. that's led me to where I am today. So I, I, I'm still employed with Genesis Free Clinic full-time, and then I mentioned earlier I serve part-time as the executive director of the Red Alliance. Very so good. Yeah, we're grateful uh, just to hear these things. And, you know, corporate America and law, I guess I better mind mm-hmm. my P's and Q's over <laughs> here this morning, get myself in trouble. Uh, you also have some children, is that correct? I have three adult children. Yes, you do. That, can you say that? Adult children. Yes, I you, do. <laughs> I do, too. So you go right yeah, ahead. Two, two that live here and, and one that lives in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, nice. Lovely. Yeah. We always like to hear about families because family is what really makes a community strong, and that's really important, uh, certainly uh, strength, strength for our churches as well. Um, I'm always interested. So this might take a little bit of a different turn, but i got to say I'm always interested to find out how – your experiences have fashioned who you've become to be. So uh, because you mentioned corporate America, because you mentioned law, mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear from you ladies about how those things made a difference and how you now approach Red Alliance and your concerns about breast cancer in the community. If you could talk to that particular issue for just a moment. Oh. That, that hits a lot of areas. I guess I, I'll start with saying, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, my own breast cancer experience, I, I think, changed me in a way that nobody wants to be diagnosed with breast cancer or any kind of serious illness, but uh, it, it often has a way of changing you, not only bringing you closer to God, but also looking at your life um, for more meaning. And, and what do you, it's kind of like, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And although I had a very uh, fulfilling career uh, as a lawyer, I felt this 
spirit moving me to do something more uh, than that in terms of actually touching the community and touching those who are uh, often underserved uh, or, or don't have access uh, to uh, what I had access to uh, when I had great health insurance as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But as a matter of fact, at the time I was diagnosed, I did not have, I was kind of in between jobs and did not have any health insurance. And so I experienced the the fear and concern and, and the impact on family that happens when you're in that situation. So that that has really shaped how I um, advocate for women now and I think has given me uh, the ability to, to identify when there are uh, barriers and, and issues that need to be addressed that perhaps people that have not had those experiences, they, they, they don't even think about it, mm-hmm. or if they do think about it, they're not sure how, how to handle it. So it has really helped me to be able to help women, both in my job at Genestra, but just separately as an, as an advocate. Um, whenever someone is, is facing something, mm-hmm. I can usually either direct them to a resource, I can provide them encouragement, mm-hmm. I, I can say, I've been where you are, um, and pr- more importantly, provide them with tools and education so that they are better equipped to deal not only with their own situation, but to pass it on mm-hmm. to their family members, their circle of influence. So. Good. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. How about you, Nadia, from your perspective? Yeah, I would agree. You know, um, my tenure in corporate America, um, I was diagnosed, and the interesting part about it is that, much like Lisa, I had great insurance, great insurance. I had uh, great doctors. I I had um, enough baseline education to know that I needed to to make some decisions. But while during while I was in treatment, I met women that were the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. I met women that either did not have insurance or they did not have resources or didn't have a baseline understanding of how they should be proactive in their own health care. And so with that, the servant in me, you know, has kicked, kicked mm-hmm. in, and, and that's actually how I approach it today. There's no cookie-cutter response, in my opinion, to serving, especially when you have individuals that come from different backgrounds or subsets or, or, or whatever. And so I think that um, it has, my diagnosis, my own personal diagnosis has helped me understand um, women in the aspect that um, we often at times, because we are the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, we don't know how to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and if we are unsure of where, like when Lisa spoke about resources, if I am unable to, or even the organizations that I'm af- affiliated with, what has been most helpful is to, to find a resource, mm-hmm. to be a navigator for these individuals. And so that has kind of, it, it really reshaped my life, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. You know, I, I thought I would just I'd be in corporate America, I'd travel around the world, I would, and that was a no. Um, that that wasn't what I feel like that the that the Lord had purposed for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like my personal um, breast cancer uh, journey was for something larger, and it's playing out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, absolutely. I, it, it's absolutely playing out. Um, even uh, our connection, um, we had, you know, we talk about court. We had ran around Indianapolis and passed by each other many of times. Mm-hmm. We knew each other's name. Mm-hmm. Didn't have, and, and, and there was an opportunity that presented itself for us to work together. Mm. And now people in the community often get us confused. Right. We are two different we are people. Two different people. <laughs> Anybody out there is not sure. We're yeah, two different we're people. Two different, people <laughs> two different voices. But, but we, we actually model the very thing that we're talking about, you mm. know, with each other about mm. collaboration, about mm. resources, about mm-hmm. working together. And yeah. so, yeah, to, to, your, to your point, I, it has totally reshaped 
um, my life, and I think in a very, on the back end, a very positive, a very positive way for me. Uh, let me just slip in here just this moment of biblical exegesis uh, <laughs> uh, to highlight the fact that Ephesians chapter 4 uh, says that uh, we have many gifts given to the church. And what I find fascinating about these gift passages, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, all of them are not the fullness of all the gifts that God has given. So I'm picking up on something you both said. Uh, you were talking about there is no cookie-cutter approach. And then, uh, Nadia, used the word navigator. And in my mind, I've had this big smile going on because what I find about the giftedness of the Holy Spirit in the Christian community is that he uses all different kinds of folks to do all different kinds of things that you don't necessarily find chapter and verse in Scripture to highlight. But, to your points, you serve. And so whatever it is that you've been given to do, you serve in that arena. Let's talk a little bit about the necessity of service as it relates to finding individuals, connecting them around a community, maybe that don't necessarily have your experiences, your backgrounds, and so on, but have this tremendous opportunity to commit or to contribute in some way. Well, as you were saying, I mean, there are many ways to serve, and the Bible definitely teaches us all to serve and to serve wherever you can. And so, again, that's why I really like the model and method of the Red Alliance because there's so many different opportunities to help us with our mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we uh, understood in forming the alliance is that there has to be a multi-pronged approach to reducing this disparity. Mm. And so it, it takes some personal responsibility and accountability. So we can go out and teach people, uh, teach women about, um, you know, when they should have a mammogram or other kinds of screening tests. It's, it's not just mammogram, there are other kinds. Right. We can teach women ab- about uh, making healthy lifestyle choices mm. that will uh, reduce their risk for breast cancer. Uh, we can teach them the importance of doing timely follow-up testing. So that's all kind of personal responsibility and accountability. Mm-hmm. But we also believe to, to really tackle this disparity program, it's going to take some systemic changes. So if, if we have, you know, medical systems, hospital systems that are uh, have practices that might be contributing to this disparity, we need them to come along. Right. So there might be some folks, uh, you know, within the hospital system, whether they be doctors or administrators or navigators like many of the hospitals have now, they have a role too in in ident- trying to identify why are why is there a disparity here in Indianapolis and what can we do in my circle of influence mm-hmm. uh, to try to bring that disparity down. So it's always a place that, that you can serve whether it's individually or within your um, you know your work capacity or within the church. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing that really drew me to uh, the Red Alliance and has kept me there is because it started out as and and continues to have a faith-based component Mm -hmm. where we are, um, we train women to serve as advocates within their churches and in the community where Mm -hmm. they also serve and other things. So Mm -hmm. that's always going to be an important part of the Red Alliance. Okay, great. Other thoughts, Nadia, on that? Any specifics? I mean, just as far as uh, what I will say, the the component of the Red Alliance is the same about the faith based component. Faith based component is the reason why the I would say one of the top reasons why mm. I am involved, mm. especially being, you know, uh, in in another realm with uh, the breast cancer and education. But specifically, this is because 
while Pink Forever does this, one thing that the Red Alliance does is it tries to galvanize the community in a way that it allows um, that multi-pronged approach. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it's working. That's good. Yeah, it's That's working. Good. You've mentioned a number of uh, important tasks. Uh, I, I'm just going to add to some of those tasks. Uh, for those of you listening to this and you're living in Indianapolis or wherever you're living, uh, and you see an organization that, that uh, is doing good work and your spirit is moved to help that particular organization, but you say to yourself, you know, I, what do I have to commit to this? Maybe you're a man. And you're a man and you're saying, you know, my wife, my sister, my aunt, uh, whomever uh, had breast cancer, and I really feel for this uh, particular alliance, uh, maybe you can drive a car. You can pick somebody up at a place at their home and drive a car, drive them to your appointment, their appointments. That's a as simple as perhaps I can get make this. Uh, of course, there's always the issue of financial donation. All of us nonprofits are concerned about all of that, uh, certainly true as well. But think about how is it that you can magnify the giftedness and service uh, that we've been given as Christians to uh, promote and prompt other nonprofits. And in this particular case, uh, breast cancer awareness, uh, concerns for women, all of this is, uh, has a huge uh, momentum shift for all of us. We are going to be taking a one-song break. We'll be coming back in just a minute. You're war listening to Warp and Woof Radio at radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We'll be right back. And we are back, Warp and Woof Radio at radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site. One of the great things that happens at Collaborate 317 is that we have great contributors all through this particular building. Uh, don't want to miss the show on genealogies that Dawn does here on Radio Next. Uh, this is a fantastic show, and I'm really grateful to uh, to have HB introduce everybody around, too. It's really nice uh, folks uh, here that are here for the first time, for instance, who get to know other folks that are doing other things. This goes back to what we were just talking about during the break. Um, HB and I, you know, we get kind of riled about this because we, we hear a whole bunch of folks out there doing a lot of talking, but not a, we don't see a lot of doing. <laughs> and we're really concerned about the doing part, hence Titus 3, do good, yes. do good, do good. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that. What is it that uh, is important for us to bring people together? What, what is it going to take to make that happen? And how do you see that uh, in your own nonprofits, your own emphasis in the community? I think first you have to have the the desire to work with others. I mean, we don't, and I, I use this word a lot, intent, intentional. I mean, yep. things just, yep. some things just don't happen organically. That's you have right. to be intentional and cultivate things. Mm -hmm. and, and so even with the Red, Red Alliance, uh, we're continually trying to reach out to organizations that might share a similar mission that can help us uh, with our mission because we, we can't do it all alone. This is too big of a, a, a of an issue, too big, big of a problem for uh, the Red Alliance Board of Directors or Pink Forever by itself or Genesta Free Clinic by itself to think we're going to tackle this. But if we come together, mm -hmm. uh, bring different resources, bring bring different perspectives, bring you know different mindsets, bring different tools, all those things, if we work collectively, mm. then we have a better chance at really solving the problem. Yeah. One of the things that we do on the show now for three or four years running, I've forgotten how many times we've done this, but we actually have a, a show once a year in January entitled The State of the Church in Indianapolis. And we bring in uh, two black pastors and two white pastors and some folks who have never met each other before. And I mention this because 
I think it's really when when anybody says the word intentional, my brain goes ding 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 ding. You know, this is this is the crucial issue. You know, can we cross the railroad tracks to somebody else's part of town and uh, contribute in some way, uh, not only to them but just to, to meet people? I mean, my word, can we just meet people? So uh, let's talk about the necessity of the intentionality of our missions, and how is it that the Red Alliance and Pink Forever does that? How do you intentionally help women specifically? Do you uh, make phone calls? Uh, you obviously, you've got a, a, a specific conference coming up here that, that we want to make sure to promote, by the way. Uh, so tell us about the specifics, the details of how you go about telling people, engaging people, doing with people what you do. Well, this is a, actually <laughs> um, a constant um, that Lisa and I um, individually and collectively collectively work on because it is important. She said mindset, and she said words like desire, and those are my top two. And so we we have to model it. It's a mindset shift, and I'm going to say this, and I, I hope that you echo this, but it is very difficult. And so I had to begin from the president of the board seat at my organization to model what I, what it means by collaborative effort, mm. what it means by being intentional about partnerships and collaborations. But in order to do that, we have to make sure that we understand what our goals and our missions and the impact is. That's one thing. But then also understanding how we can benefit. We have a mutual beneficial relationships by partnering and collaborating with other organizations within the Indianapolis community and abroad. Mm. It's a mindset shift. Mm. Most nonprofits, you'll also see this in churches, are so concerned about what their own individual, whether it be their funding, whether it be their members, whether it be, I mean, let's just cross the board, that we often, and I'm saying we because I had a mindset shift, we often forget that working in a silo or working in our own individual lane is not a fair representation of how you, of the word community, mm-hmm. uh, right? And yeah. so um, I believe, I personally believe, and I, and I actively every day in a consistent manner try to model this because I, it is difficult at times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that, that you have to be transparent when you're willing to have a mindset shift and say, hey, I'm going to be intentional about partnering. I'm going to be intentional about, and then when we started to do it, 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 it the work spoke for itself. Yes. You know, that's how we're able to put on an event like, um, uh, the the Stay Alert, Stay Alive Summit. That's mm-hmm. the way that you're able to, um, in my opinion, kind of up your weight and your stock when mm-hmm. you start attaching yourself to other people, other things, and non-conventional approaches as, or traditional approaches mm-hmm. as well. I wish people could see my... Uh see me here in studio because I feel like a bobblehead now. I'm just sitting over here. My head's going up and down. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I, there's a famous line, of course, this comes out of uh, uh, Harvard Business Review or, or all leadership journals say the same thing, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And the whole point behind that line is that your the, the intentionality of the community that you build uh, has a certain mindset. We've been talking about that disposition attitude and approaches and so on and that is what's going to move an organization you can have all the plans that you want to have but you ain't going nowhere baby if you don't have that culture set that's right so lisa your point about these kinds of ideas but what 
what I kept thinking about as Nani was talking was that our uh, Stay Alert, Stay Alive Breast Health Summit really is just a continuation of that method and model that, that we've been talking about. Uh, I'll put a plug in for it now. It is Please. next Saturday, April the 14th at go. Martin University. Uh, but we started this uh, Breast Health Summit. Uh, last year was our inaugural event, and you were there, part mm. of a, a panel there. But uh, the Red Alliance has decided to make that like our premier uh, outreach and educational uh, event each year because uh, it really is an opportunity to bring together so many different parts of the mm. community for mm. both a, a learning experience, to connect people with, with resources, and to learn from the community things that might guide our work the, the right. remainder of the year. So, uh, you know, when you talk about collaborating and partnering and being intentional, what I love about the summit is that if you look at our list of sponsors, they are from all mm-hmm. walks. We we have um, big hospital systems. We have uh, smaller uh, services. We have like like Pink Pink Forever is a smaller non for profit. But then you have Hendrix Regional Health, which is not even in. Marion County, Mm -hmm. uh, but thinks enough about this issue and what the Red Alliance is doing is that uh, Hendricks Regional Health is our premier sponsor for Mm -hmm. the Breast Health Summit. You have the Marion County Health Department, the government arm, that's sponsoring our uh, luncheon, which I want to make sure to talk about. Um, You have the Catherine Peachy Fund, which is a a smaller not-for-profit, but but one that that has a lot of clout in the research uh, field, medical breast cancer research field. So they're one of our sponsors. And so, again, it's just showing how we come together uh, partnering, we can use all of our strengths Mm -hmm. uh, to really try to to tackle uh, the problem with the breast cancer disparity in in Indianapolis. We have about five minutes thereabouts, five to seven minutes left uh, for our first hour of the show. And I want to make sure to hit everything you want to hit. So I I heard you talk about the luncheon. so talk again about this upcoming weekend and where it is, what time, uh, what people need to know, websites, and then your luncheon. Other issue, other specifics that you want to make sure yes. everybody hears about. Yeah, because we have a lot going on. You do. You want to start, Nadia, or you want me to keep going? Go, keep going. <laughs> so, keep going. again, it's a Saturday, April the 14th, the Stay Alert, Stay Alive Breast Health Summit. It takes place at Martin University, which is at uh, 2186 North Sherman Drive on the east side. Uh, but we have a day full of activities. Uh, we have some educational workshops that are for uh, directed toward uh, community members. So Nadia Miller is going to be teaching one of those workshops. She's going to be teaching on cultural attitudes and beliefs that impact Ooh. our health decisions. Mm. Uh, she's going to be using her book, mm-hmm. From uh, Survivor to Thriver, uh, as the mm-hmm. basis for that. So that's one of the workshops. Uh, we have Dr. Mo- Monet Bowling, who's an uh, African-American breast surgeon here um, mm-hmm. in the Indianapolis area. She's going to be uh, teaching on some of the uh, breast cancer risk factors mm-hmm. and screening options and what do you do when you get those results? What do those results mean? Yes. Uh, we also have uh, an African-American licensed therapist who's going to come in and talk about fear. Mm-hmm. How do we combat fear and stress and, and the impact it has on the decisions that we make? And so this mm-hmm. isn't all breast cancer related. These are life issues, so you don't have to be a breast cancer survivor or supporter or advocate. If you're in the community and have any of these issues, uh, there's something there for you. Mm. Um, The other thing about the Breast Health Summit is that not only do we teach um, and reach out to community members, we also offer it for specifically for healthcare providers. So we don't think there's any other organization that's trying to do both in, mm-hmm. in this uh, arena. So we have workshops that are specifically directed to healthcare providers. So we have uh, w- 
Dr. Tara Ballinger from IU Health, who's going to teach about uh, some of the new treatment options and genomics and uh, targeted therapies. That that's stuff that doctors and nurses want to hear about. But then we also have a a, a young African American breast surgeon who's going to talk about. Uh, some of the uh, impact of racial factors mm. on treatment decisions because mm. that's part of what's tied up in the, this disparity. So if you want to learn and be empowered, you come out and do the workshops. You could also come out, though, and visit our Health and Wellness Expo, which is great. And all this is free. Did I mention that? All, <laughs> everything that I'm talking about right now is free. But I want Nadia to talk about what's going on in the Health and Wellness Expo, particularly in God's Pharmacy. Well, I, yeah, I'm forever. I'm excited about the event. I'm excited about God's Pharmacy in particular. While we have a lot going on, because um, I have been to a lot of events but haven't seen anything like this. So God's Pharmacy is, um, it's it's a market of fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, as Lisa mentioned, uh, one of our sponsors, the Catherine Peachy Fund, has a great cookbook that folks are able to pick up. That's also free. Um, there are going to be. Um, recipes for healthy eating and because also with the this whole disparity it does matter what we eat and I think that healthy living is something also that we want to make sure that we are promoting and also to echo what Lisa says it does, it's not about being a survivor it's not about although everyone will benefit from this but man woman or child I say that needs to come on out also we have a um uh Charles Fit and Fabulous. Uh, fit and Fabulous going on. So there will be individuals there to talk about. Um, we have uh, wigs and we have uh, mm -hmm. prosthesis for our survivors and we have just other things makeup. like makeup. Eyebrow, get your eyebrows done, your eyelashes done. So again, it's, it's, it's all open free. for anybody. And mm -hmm. it, it, it's all free and it's open for everyone. And what we're hoping is, is that just like last year and, and, and you were there, Dr. Eccles, that this is, it also, it creates an organic fellowship yes. that begins to happen, you know, and keeping that at the, at the forefront, and all of these things are free, mm -hmm. except yeah. for the luncheon. The, except for the luncheon, yeah, but so the luncheon is very. It's, it's only fifteen dollars, but we are featuring uh, family members of Henrietta Lacks. Uh, many of you out there may have uh, seen the movie or read the book of Henrietta Lacks, who is an African American woman who, back in the nineteen fifties, was diagnosed with cervical cancer. Uh, without her knowledge, uh, doctors took some of her cells, cancerous cells, uh, but. Uh, those cells, for the first time ever, they were able to keep those cells alive and, and reproduce them in a lab. The importance of that is that now researchers, medical researchers and scientists, since then have been able to use that cell line over and over mm -hmm. to do medical research. And so she is, is seen as a medical pioneer because it has led to all kind of um, uh, medical advances having mm -hmm. to do with chemotherapy, with the polio vaccine, mm -hmm. with uh, HPV. I mean, so many is so innumerable, many. and so her granddaughter and the daughter-in-law are going to be our keynote presenters for mm -hmm. the luncheon. They're going to tell about her, her mm -hmm. story, and the impact it's had on the medical profession. And although the doctors took her cells without her knowledge, what that has led to is many protections being um, implemented for those of us who mm -hmm. uh, want to be involved in medical research. And it is very important that African-American people be involved because... Our bodies might relate differently to some medicines than, than other ethnicities, but we won't know that unless we're involved in some of this medical research. We, we want medicines designed that will help us. Of course, of course. Yeah. This is a, a crucial uh, concern for all of us. Euro-American, African-American, doesn't matter. Um, one of the things that I, it struck me, as you were mentioning, uh, both of you, the com comment that I was on your uh, panel, um, I want to just say as a theologian how important this is. 
you're talking about, so I'm a theologian who's also very practical. So when you start talking about physical fitness and exercise as well as eating right and good, make, eating good vegetables and uh, fruits and so on and how important that is, God's pharmacy, I mean, I just love that phrase. That's <laughs> such a great idea. All of us need to contribute in some way to this particular uh, process and in a way that is beneficial, I think, to all people. Um, which is the whole point of this show, to do good for everybody, bring community together, doesn't matter where you live, who you are, what color skin you're is, doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't matter at all. We've got about uh, 30, 60 seconds left, ladies. Um, each of you take a shot at this. What is one thing that you would like everybody to hear before you leave today? Well, I have to say, if you want to come to the Breast Health Summit, you can register uh, on Eventbrite. Just go to redalliancebreastshealthsummit.eventbrite.com. You can register online. Uh, it's all free, we said, except for the luncheon. Um, if you want to come to the luncheon, you need to register by Friday. So don't delay. Just go on now. Go on to eventbrite.com to do that. But if you just want to come to the workshops and the expo, just come on out. I mean, register. But if you show up at Martin University, we're not going to turn you away for the, the workshops and the expo. There you go. Yep, I would echo that. And I would just also say don't, don't, don't be slowful in this. I would encourage the community to really just to come out and take part in this. I often hear folks say that there's, you know, Indianapolis doesn't have a lot going on, or we, mm. but, but that we absolutely do. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, you know, we thank you for this um, platform. And lastly, just leaving the community to remember as far as that individual thing, to be proactive in their health, mm-hmm. to really just be proactive in their overall health mm. and the importance of that. And remember that not only is knowledge key, but knowledge is power in fighting whatever disease or whatever issues that you have mentally, spiritually, or physically. That's right. Oh, well said. This is a great word today, ladies. I'm really grateful for your presence today. Thank you. Lisa Hayes, Nadia Miller, we're Thank grateful you. for what you do. Um, Whoever says Indianapolis doesn't have much going on, I mean, come on, people. <laughs> what is wrong with you? You just listen to HB. You listen to Jumbo Love on Saturday mornings. He's going to bring everybody across this platform for you to know in and around Indianapolis. And, of course, this radio show every Wednesday from 10 until noon, Warp and Woof Radio, Cominius Institute-sponsored show. Uh, again, prayers for Clyde Posley right now as he's in the ER. We're waiting word on what's uh, going on. Now as he's in the ER, we're waiting word on what's uh, going on. Now as he's in the ER, we're waiting word on what's uh, going on. Now as he's in the ER, we're waiting word on what's uh, going on. Now as he's in the ER, we're waiting word on what's uh, going on. Now as he's in the ER, we're waiting word on what's uh, going on. Now as he's in the ER, we're waiting word on him. But until that time, uh, we're going to take a two-song break. When we come back, Brian Reeder, who is Chief of Staff at IMPD, that's the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department, will be on hand. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to be a Christian in the public square. You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio. We'll be back in about eight minutes. And we are back, Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We are really pleased to have had the Red Alliance with us this morning. In our first hour, if uh, you missed part of that show, and specifically about the announcements that they wanted to make sure everybody heard about, their conference at, Mary, uh, at Martin University, excuse me, at Martin University this coming Saturday, uh, check them out. Go uh, bing it, Google it, whatever you need to do to find out about the Red Alliance and their great conference going on this coming Saturday. Uh, make sure that you put that on your list of things to do. And, of course, in this hour, we have Chief of Staff of IMPD, Brian Reeder, here uh, with us, and we're really grateful for your presence. And we're going to be talking about, I think, an important topic that's been going on since, well, since the First Testament. Uh, We're talking about Daniel and Joseph and 
a few other big name folks in the Bible like that uh, as it relates to our concerns about how do we function as believers in uh, a setting, in a place where uh, folks do not share our universal transcendent biblical uh, truth base. Uh, Brian, Chris, thanks so much for being here today. We're really grateful for your presence. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, your church community, uh, anything you want to tell us background-wise. Give folks a little bit of a bio here. Uh, well, I was born in Indianapolis and grew up there. I, I do prison ministry, so when I do prison ministry, I always introduce myself as I uh, caught my case in 1951. It was a death penalty case, and mm. I was on death row until um, mm. uh, for 21 years. Mm. And after 21 years, my sentence was commuted, and I was given, I was set free. Mm. Uh, and, and so everybody comes up and they say, you was on death row? I'm like, yeah, I was on death row. And they said, really? What, where, what, what, uh, where were you at? Where did you do your bid at? And I said, right here in Indianapolis. They said, they, they got death row in Indianapolis? I said, bro, what I'm saying is <laughs> when, you, when you accept, when you are born into this world, you have a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the only way you can get that death sentence commuted is mm-hmm. by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection, mm-hmm. accepting the gospel. Mm-hmm. I said, so So what I tell you that, I'm not lying. I said, but it's in a perspective that you could understand. Yeah. Uh, and so I think what, what's important, especially about the topic that we're going to be discussing, is that we, we can never put anything above uh, our exclusivity when it comes to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so when, when a person says, so how do you function uh, as a Christian in this environment, and it's like, well, how does anyone function in whatever environment they are? Uh, we're supposed to be salt and light. Mm. And so if that's the case, then we just have to maintain our integrity. Mm. So when we had initially talked, uh, the first person that came to mind was Joseph, and the second one was Daniel. Mm. Um, both of them uh, maintained their integrity through situations and circumstances that were less than church, uh, less than a church mm. environment, mm-hmm. especially Daniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so because of that, I think uh, when you start talking about people who are in um, public service and are public servants, that's, that's the thing we have to keep in mind, mm-hmm. that Christ said that the greatest of us would be the best servant. Mm-hmm. So having a servant's heart, uh, looking, uh, being that mouthpiece for those who are unable to either articulate or understand the circumstances mm-hmm. that they find themselves in, uh, those are the things I think that are important that we keep first and foremost in our mind when we start to deal with these issues. Mm. You know, it strikes me as I, I hear you say these good words that uh, both Joseph and Daniel worked in superpower Absolutely. situations. Absolutely. So you're talking about the superpower of Egypt for Joseph and the superpower of Babylon, Babylon for Daniel. And, uh, of course, the necessity of, let's let's use this word, navigating the culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... Uh, we can we can talk about integrity. In fact, you know we could we should probably give a definition of that. You can take this next question any way you want uh, to define integrity, and then to talk about the approach that you take in navigating the culture that you find yourself in. Well, uh, you know, to me, integrity and character go hand in hand, and so it is those uh, base uh, understandings of who you are, whose you are, and then maintaining that 
even when nobody is around, that knows those things. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll tell you a little story. There was a friend of mine who went to a church, and um, he ran into someone who worked at a large manufacturing plant when we had those in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And so um, the person who he ran into asked him if he knew a person that worked with him. And he said, uh, yes, yeah, I know brother so-and-so. He said, brother? He said, yeah. He said, uh, he's a, he, what, what is he, uh, in a fraternal organization? Is he in the Elks? Is he, you know, uh, uh, in, in some kind of secret organization? He said, no, he goes to our church. He said, he goes to church? <laughs> and so it was like, yeah, he goes, he's a deacon. He's a deacon? <laughs> and so to me, that, that spoke to that person's integrity. The fact that when they are at church, they're a totally different person because of the environment, but when they move outside of that environment mm. into a work environment, their uh, personality and probably behavior mm. changes to the point where they're not even recognizable as being a child of God. Mm. So when we start talking about integrity issues, it's what is it that you hold dear? What is it that you place as a priority in your life to govern your behavior? regardless of whether or not a person understands that you go to a church or that you don't go to a church. Mm. And so when we start to look at that <clears throat> and we, we look at the scriptures, uh, one thing that really st- stands out and pops out into my head is Galatians 5.22 when it talks mm. about the fruit of the Spirit. And we go through all of those and we love them. You know, We love joy, uh, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, all that. The one that we always seem to miss is the last one on the list, which is self-control. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's our controlling ourselves mm. and allowing the Holy Spirit to be our guide. Mm. Mm. Uh, and, so, and in so many situations, especially when I look back on my life, the problems that I have experienced have been because I lacked self-control and mm. self-discipline. It wasn't because God wasn't telling me what to do. It was that I wasn't listening. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when we start to, to look at what uh, those two individuals, especially uh, recently Daniel, I've been, I've been looking at Daniel recently, uh, how they were able to, first of all, understand where they were and then understand what was important mm-hmm. and then make sure that you don't compromise your position mm-hmm. to maintain a position in the organization that you stand in. Mm-hmm. Because when there's a choice to be made, it's I'd rather get fired than to not be led by the Spirit. Because mm-hmm. if we walk by the flesh, it says that we're, we're going to fulfill the lust of the flesh and we're going to be destroyed. But if we walk in the Spirit, then we're going to reap those benefits that are spiritual. Mm-hmm. So we look at Daniel uh, that time uh, in whatever situation we look at when uh, I think it was Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, erected a, a, a model of himself and said, everybody's supposed to bow down to this. And Daniel said, the three Hebrews said, nah, we're not doing that. Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah said, no. And and, and I, I, I don't use their Babylonian name. Thank you. I, I was just going to comment on that. Thank you. <laughs> I used their Israel because that, that was who they were. And so uh, when they said, we're not, we're not going to bow, and he got kind of upset with them uh, to the point where the people that actually executed the sentence, putting them into that fiery furnace, were dispatched. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw something that was a little bit different. So I think in maintaining our integrity, we begin to allow people who don't know God mm-hmm. to see who is that 
what is what's there's something different yeah. about this because because this doesn't happen first of all but second of all there's something I, I see something else in that fiery furnace mm -hmm. that wasn't there before and, yeah. and that I think is what what uh, we all should be striving for in terms of our relationship with God and, and then making maintaining that we can preach that gospel mm -hmm. without opening our mouths mm -hmm. just by the way we act the way, the way we respond not react but the way we respond to circumstances and situations that mm. uh, that are presented to us. So I hope I answered the question. Oh, it was a marvelous answer, by the okay. way. Uh, so happy, by the way, that you mentioned uh, Galatians 5. I'm always mindful of a couple verses after the one you mentioned, uh, 24, 524, that says, keep in step with the Spirit. Yeah. That idea that we literally are walking with the one who has invaded our lives Absolutely. and who lives within us. Absolutely. And then, of course, this issue of knowing how to respond. And I want to take this and broaden this out a little bit because this is always I ask people like you these kinds of questions because I have my own a, approach to these things mm -hmm. in the realm in which I work in a, in a public university right. setting doing these things that I do. Um, so here it is. Uh, there are lots of things that really tick me off internally. Mm -hmm. You know, personally, I get upset with them, right. but I don't speak to those issues. Uh, and on social media, especially in a place, you know, some of what I do is on social media, I'm always telling people, what do you want to be known for? Right. So let's talk about that just for a minute. Sure. About what is it that we want to be known for? And how do we function? We've talked generally about how we function as Christians mm -hmm. in the culture. But let's talk about specific ways in which we get invested in this. Okay. Uh, I think, I guess the only thing I can say is, you, you know, um, I, I just heard a illustration not too long ago about an individual who was all in. Mm. <clears throat> and they used the uh, the illustration that I guess I, I'm not, I have to admit, I'm not as worldly as I look. <laughs> but uh, I hear that when you play poker, you have chips, mm. and the chips you place on the table, and then... If you're going all in, you put all your chips in, but it doesn't it doesn't count until you take your hand totally off the chips. Mm. And so you hedge your bet by putting the chips out there but not moving your hand. Mm. And so no one shows their hand because you haven't really declared, made that investment in the cards that you have. Mm -hmm. And so that when you feel comfortable, you can then say, okay, I'm going to. We're going to move my hand. So you move your hand, and now you're all in. Everybody knows, and you're invested. And so now we're going to see exactly what's what. And so I think when it comes to dealing with the convoluted aspect of public service is are you all in? Or do you still have your hand on your chips? Mm, wow. What a great illustration that is. You know, are, are you, are you, are you going to – are you going to – say that there is nothing left for me to do except walk in the spirit mm. um, and whatever happens happens but I think what what we have um, and what you know we all know is that we win mm. if we're all in we're, we we already know we're gonna win this is not a this is not a situation where we're unsure about the end result of our investment. Mm -hmm. Whenever you do an investment, uh, and I've done some, and some of them lately have not panned out the way I thought they should, <laughs> but I was hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. 
But there's a different context of hoping for a natural investment and placing your hope in an internal investment. Mm -hmm. And that eternal investment always brings the desired result mm. as opposed to what the natural does. So when we start talking about investing, I think uh, we have to be all in. Mm. Uh, we can't look at um, ethnicity. We can't look at tradition. Uh, we can't look at what my doctrine is. We have to say, you know, regardless of all those things and all of the divisiveness that those as aspects of our lives may bring, if we allow it, that we have to put Christ first. And so he then starts to break down those barriers mm -hmm. so that when I look at a person whose skin pigmentation may not be as dark as mine or as light as mine or whatever different shades we come in because we come in all shades of, of the spectrum, I don't classify them in, in something other than my brother in Christ. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, then that legitimizes that individual not for me, but from the standpoint of who he is in Christ. Yeah. Because whatever shortcomings, and we all have them, because mm -hmm. the scripture says we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so we all have our shortcomings. Whatever those things are, Christ covers them. And so because of that, then I have to forgive. Mm -hmm. if, I've, if I've been abused, I have to forgive. Uh, if I've been mistreated, I have to bless. So we, we have the, the, the structure. We have the guidepost. We have everything that we need to be successful in this life. We just have to be all in. Mm. Our investment has to be such that, it, that, that we're not going to hedge our bets by keeping mm. our hands on our chips. Mm. Uh, Great so. story. Great yeah. illustration. We're going to take a one-song break here in just a second. But uh, when we come back, we'll talk again uh, with uh, Brian Reeder about some of what he does at IMPD. Also, how that impacts how he thinks as a Christian and then, of course, we are going to constantly be, be talking about what does it mean from a Christian vantage point to live in this particular world. This is a very important topic, very important that uh, folks here, somebody like uh, Brian Reeder, talk about these things from the position that he's in. You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We'll take a one-song break. We'll be right back. Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We come to you every Wednesday from 10 until noon. And we are in our second hour of the show right now with Brian Reeder, Chief of Staff at IMPD. And Brian, uh, in our first segment, we were talking about what it means to be a Christian in the public square, mm -hmm. how that matters in the culture and so on. Right. I wanted to, everybody to hear a little bit about your background, however, okay. about where you come from, your experiences in city government uh, from then until now. Okay. Uh, I've served in a few, quite a few different capacities um initially started this was in the 70s i was with the um, human rights commission and um, i worked with them for a couple of years uh, then i moved out of city government and i was with the community action against poverty i was the uh, associate director and then director of what was called the uh, weatherization program where we actually went in and re retrofitted homes did windows, door seals, uh, insulation in homes where the light bill, well, not light bill, but the gas bill probably was four, five, six hundred dollars a month. And when we get left, uh, people would literally send us their bills, and they would be like one hundred fifty dollars. Oh, wow. So that that was that was really uh, satisfying. And then came back to the city, 
uh, and worked uh, for a short period of time with the Department of Transportation, was supervisor, so we did a lot of construction stuff. Uh, left again, started my own business, was there for four years, came back uh, after that um, in the late, well, mid-'80s, uh, was chief bail commissioner for the uh, Marion County Municipal Court System. We set all the bonds and, and bails for everybody who was arrested, uh, which is where I met then Joe Shelton, who was the Dep Department of Public Safety um, Director. And uh, during that time, they had uh, looked at initiating a program called uh, the Citizens Police Complaint Review Process. Uh, so when I talked with him, um, he asked me to become the director for that. So in 1990, um, I was uh, named the director by then Mayor Hudnut um, uh, to be the director for the Citizen Police Complaint Office. Office was comprised of a board. Uh, we started from scratch. We had no structure whatsoever, so we put all of that together. Uh, and I served in that capacity until 2014, so that was 24 years. Uh, during that time, um, we saw uh, a lot of change in the department in terms of accountability. Um, and uh, when uh, we worked very closely with them um, to make sure that the community had a voice in uh, the kind of service that they were receiving from the department. Um, so I was there until 2014, and then the, um, and the thing I think that was probably the most significant thing about that too was the fact that uh, I started under Mayor Hudnut, and so I've been through, I think, five, five mayors, mm -hmm. both uh, Republican and Democrat. Okay. And so uh, in looking back, as we talked about Daniel, yep. Daniel started under Nebuchadnezzar mm -hmm. and Cyrus, Mm -hmm. was the last king mm -hmm. that he served under under uh, the Babylonian Empire, but then also Medes and Persians. Yes. So he went, not only did he go through the Babylonian piece, but he then stayed with a whole different world uh, situation that, that changed. Talk uh, about a transition, lives. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I can't, you know, say that I was a, a Daniel. But because I never did do the, I never did the, the den of lions. That that was that's a little bit beyond my ability. But um, I believe it was God who preserved me through that whole piece. Um, and so, when our current mayor, Mayor Hogsett, asked uh, Troy Riggs to be the chief of police, that's when he asked me to step up and to become his chief of staff. So for the last two years, I've been chief of staff under um, Chief Riggs and now under um, Chief Roach. Okay. Very good. So it's been, um, it, it's really been an interesting uh, situation. And, and like I said, most people say, well, how did you survive? Mm. Um, and I have to, I have to confess that initially when I was asked that question uh, in a public setting, uh, my answer was do your job, do your job. Mm. Uh, and then when I left and I thought about it, I said, you know, I really missed an opportunity because it's not only do your job. It's serve your God, mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's God who preserves. Mm -hmm. He's the one, uh, regardless of whether. I, obviously, I had to do my job, but I could have done. And there were a lot of people who did their jobs, but when there was a new administration, they were kicked out. Yeah. So the 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 act of preservation was an act of God's preservation. Mm -hmm. right. He was the one that preserved me throughout that whole time. 
the fact that I did my job helped, but I think the main the main thing was the fact that uh, he just wanted me to serve in that capacity. And so until God says move, you know, you just have to do what he asks you to do. That's a good thing. Yeah, this, I wanted everybody to get just a bit of a snapshot. I yeah. mean, when you hear the phrase chief of staff, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're talking about Washington, D.C. or Indianapolis, Indiana, d- different things come to your mind. So right. tell us just a, a snapshot of what you do. Well, the, the biggest thing that you do is whatever they ask you to do. Whatever <laughs> your chief asks you to do, you do it. There you go. So that, that could range from anything from uh, personnel issues, um, dealing with um, – Different conflicts within within the department, mm. different conflicts within city government, getting clarification on different things, uh, having the ability to communicate to not only the mayor, the mayor's office, his staff, but also the community members, regardless of where they might be, regardless of what ethnicity you're going into, making sure that you build those bridges necessary to be successful in, in whatever it is that they've asked you to accomplish. So I, th- I think it takes a wide range of uh, abilities and a skill set that God placed within me throughout the 24 years that I was the director of citizens' complaints because we started um, that from scratch, but we also started a national organization, uh, National Association for Civilian Oversight of Law Enforcement, NACO. And so we started that myself as well as uh, another member of our board, uh, Lorna Spearman, we had another five other members throughout the nation. We started a national organization that is in that's still in existence today, uh, that does what we what we were doing in terms of police accountability, um, and working with the federal government as well as with municipalities mm-hmm. to to implement civilian review in certain places and to make sure that uh, those particular uh, operating procedures and protocols are in place so that you don't have the Fergusons. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you start to look at where you have your most conflict in the areas where you have those explosive situations that that evolve, it's because they don't have any civilian review. They don't have accountability. They don't have civilians speaking to the department in terms of what it is that they want that department to produce as their Mm -hmm. service to Mm -hmm. the community. So I think that that was a really important situation that existed that uh, got, again, uh, gave us the opportunity to serve in that. I was the president for that for the first five years of mm-hmm. that organization. So we started that. It's been about 18 and 19 years ago. Well, congratulations on that. In particular, I, it strikes me at, to just say this, that uh, not only has this national organization come out of Indianapolis that right. we're progenitor of, but the very next show after our show is over is the Ten Point Coalition, oh, okay. which is a group that started in Indianapolis and is now becoming well-known uh, in fact, as you probably well know, Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General of the United States, came to Indianapolis right, right. and met with Ten Point just right. to – I make that comment generally because even in our first hour today, uh, the folks who were here were just mentioned that people say nothing's going on in Indianapolis, oh, to wow. which I want to say, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> you seriously? You don't – People you don't. will be surprised. Oh, my uh, word, yes. Some of the things that have occurred in Indianapolis that are occurring in Indianapolis are not occurring anywhere else in the country. Mm. I think, I'm not sure, haven't checked everywhere, but I think I was the only civilian chief of staff for a major police department in the nation. Wow. So so that was something that nobody else has ever done mm. uh, that was implemented by Chief Riggs and then continued to, to, to stay the course under Chief Roach. And I think that speaks to uh, their ability to be proactive and to be uh, visionaries mm-hmm. in terms of what it is that is going to have to take place when you start talking about community and police. Mm-hmm. There's this barrier that has existed historically 
because of the individuals that the police department had once employed to, to quote unquote keep the peace. Mm -hmm. And so there there's this idea that there there the factions that exist and the fracture between police and community is so wide that it can never be breached. And I think that what was, was given to me in terms of uh, my charge from Chief Riggs was to make sure that we helped to bridge that gap, mm -hmm. to let them s to know that within the police administration, there's a person who is a community person who has the authority to do whatever I ask him or her to do, yet keep and maintain that integral point of being community-based. And I think that's important, especially when we start talking about what's going on in the, in the country today. When you mention that, immediately what comes to my mind are police officers who have been slain in the uh, line of duty, right. who, who then I see these communities coming around the family, coming around the police, uh, because the, these particular police officers have done such good work right. in their community right. settings Absolutely. that people are, are tremendously uh, shocked and saddened by their loss. Right. And we're talking about different ethnicities here, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're talking about people who don't look like each other but who care deeply for each other. Absolutely. Yeah. That, I think that's one thing that is missed in terms of when there is true community policing there is a relationship that is built between that police officer and that community. And so uh, you, you get the point where a person says, I hate the police, but I love Officer Smith. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's like, okay, so here, here's where we have to start to work for you to understand that there are more officers in the department, like Officer Smith, mm -hmm. than there are from Officer Jones, the, prob the problem officer that you're aware of. Yeah. And, and once they understand that and they begin to realize that, then you'll find that there's a, a that that chasm then begins to close, mm -hmm. and people get begin to understand that this the department is not an occupying force, but it's an agent of of service that exists to protect and serve those that that it works with. But that happens when you form relationship, mm -hmm. and see that's that's the piece I think that most people fail to realize. Nothing that works, I don't care if it's business, I don't care if it's government, I don't care if it's church, I don't care what it is, if it's not based off relationship, it doesn't work. That's right. The only way it works is when you have a relationship where people get to know one another mm -hmm. and they begin to trust one another. Mm -hmm. and they begin to, to, to know that I know that Officer Smith has my best interest at heart. How do you know that? Because he's shown that. Mm -hmm. And so you get that when you spend time with people you get that when you talk with people, not that you talk down to people, mm -hmm. that you talk with people. Mm -hmm. It gets it, especially when you start to listen to oh. what they have to say. And so when, when they start to listen and they start to really understand mm -hmm. the perspective of folks, because I, I get the fact that there are a lot of people who feel like, well, those people who are in prison, they deserve to be there. And I can't say that their behavior didn't precipitate the fact that they are in prison. But there are a lot of good people in prison. Mm -hmm. They've made bad choices, they've made bad decisions, and they've done bad things, mm -hmm. but they're not bad people. Mm -hmm. And so I think, again, the, the reason that I can say that is because I go into the prison, I spend time with these guys, I talk mm -hmm. with them, and they have families that they try to take care of, they have uh, a wife that they love, they, they are just like everyone else. But they failed to have an opportunity mm -hmm. to take care of their families because they didn't have the understanding 
they didn't have the knowledge, they may not have had the preparation, they may not have been able to develop the skill set. I'm not out here to do anything bad to anybody, but my babies are hungry and they have to eat. And so this is an opportunity because of a relationship that mm -hmm. they have to say, okay, I can help you, but you got to do this. Mm -hmm. So now the choice is that are my babies going hungry mm -hmm. or I'm going to take this package. After all, it's going to be delivered. So I'm going to deliver it so I can give you money so I can take care of my kids. So, I mean, it, it may sound like uh, you're making excuses for people, but, but the reality of this whole process is there to be meaningful change, sustained change, relationships have to be built. Man, there's so many different ways to go off the words you've just suggested. I'm going to pick up on a couple. Uh, the first one, just a comment. Uh, Proverbs 6, 30 to 31 is a passage that I think is missed often when we deal with what you just talked about. Um, it says there that if a man steals, and he steals because his family is hungry, we understand as human beings that why he's done this. Right. And we get it, even though he's going to have to repay whatever right. it is that right. he stole. Right. We get that. But what we don't get is when somebody who has something steals from somebody who has nothing or very little uh, to get something they already have. Right. And that's what really ticks us off. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, we could apply that in lots of different situations. Yeah, yeah I won't It'd even be, go We'd there. be here for a while. Oh, we would, wouldn't we? Yeah. But Proverbs 6, 30 to 35 people, go check that out. It's a very powerful and important passage. But something that I wanted to come back to, um, we've got about 10 minutes left in our show, so we can take some time with this. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to Boca Raton. Uh, I teach MA and PhD courses, and I'm teaching uh, Theological Foundations for Ministry to a group of church planters in Boca Raton. And one of the things that I talk about, aside from the interiority piece, that is the, how you develop the person of the minister, because without the minister, there's no ministry. So we talked about that in the first segment. But what I also talk about is the visionary piece of leadership. So how do we project or think about how what's happening now is going to make a difference in the future. Mm -hmm. So speak to that issue. I heard you use the word visionary and leadership within the same context. Talk about the importance of that, generally speaking, perhaps, perhaps specifically to what you've been doing. And then as a Christian, how does, how does all of this uh, interweave with each other? Well, let me first say that um, if you're going to Boca Raton and you need an assistant, I'd be happy to go with you. <laughs> I just want to throw that in there so you know. <laughs> I won't even charge you. Well, I just good. Need, I just need to take care of my travel. And, and, but I, I'll even have a place to stay because my daughter lives in Fort Lauderdale. So just get me there. And we'll be good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, <laughs> I think the scripture talks about without a vision that people perish. Mm. And I think for many people, we fail to allow God to give us that vision. Uh, we have a vision. And we have a way that we think is right. Uh, but many times it's not God's vision. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the thing is, how do I bring myself into a place where I can hear clearly what the Lord is saying to me so that I can develop the, the vision that will bring about the best result based on my relationship with him? 
leadership is a how can I put this leadership is a gift that God gives us to serve others leadership and Christ demonstrated that is not to be used as a club to bring people into submission mm -hmm. to my will there you go and so as I serve in whatever capacity that God places me in as I serve others people be begin to understand and see that this is a person that we can follow mm -hmm. because that kind of leadership brings forth desired results mm. so if if we're trying to understand how do we stop violence in a particular community we have to show leadership that we're going to go in there not trying to arrest everybody who is a bad person but to start to look at the environment and say okay there are some needs here that need to be met how can we meet the need because when we meet the need then the behavioral process takes care of itself. When we come to Christ, we have a need for an understanding about, number one, who we are, and number two, who he is, mm -hmm. and number three, what it is he wants us to do. That's a need that we have. A lot of people try to fulfill that need by getting a PhD. That's not going to fulfill mm -hmm. that need. Mm -hmm. Getting a good uh, job, having a big house, driving a fancy car, having a lot of money in the bank. Those are all good things, but they don't meet the need. The need is to have a relationship with your Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. your Lord Amen. and Savior. That's the need. Mm -hmm. Once you meet that need, other stuff is fine. That's good. If you don't, that's, that's good too. I've been to Liberia. When we went to Liberia, there was... Tremendous need when it came to the materialistic aspect of what we experience as Christians in America. Tremendous need. But the willingness to do anything to fill that need because they had Christ. So we walked into a village and it was like, Very little in terms of sustenance. Living literally in mud huts with thatched roofs, and they're the happiest people. Something's wrong with them. Because I'm not, I'm not feeling this. I'm not. You know, this is not what I'm accustomed to. But as you recognize, their need is filled because they had Christ. So they weren't willing to sacrifice Christ. values of that community was. So when you take that and you look at it from our perspective, our biggest need is Christ. Our biggest need is Christ. I, I know guys, and you know guys, who before Christ met that need, they did some horrible things. Mm -hmm. They stole. They, in some cases, killed. Mm -hmm. In some cases, uh, they sold things that they shouldn't have sold. Mm -hmm. uh, they abused people. They use people. I mean, we can go on and on talking about this negative behavior and these neg negative behavioral patterns. But when they receive Christ, 
that all changed. Mm. Their whole perspective changed. Mm. So they went from being a robber uh, and a killer to now being a, a person who goes into a prison to talk to other people about how to be set free from those mm. kinds of things by fulfilling that need. Mm. So they become a leader. Even though they, they may not have a big church, they may not have to drive a big car, and they may not be called bishop or elder or deacon or whatever, but they're, they're doing the commission. They're accomplishing the goal, the mission that was set forth. They said, go ye therefore into all the earth and preach and make disciples. Mm -hmm. See, we, we, we're easy to go out and preach to somebody. Mm -hmm. But discipleship is work. Oh, my word, yes. And so what, are we putting in the work, not just going to tell somebody about Christ, but then be Christ to them. Yes. Let, let them understand that it's not just me telling you about Jesus, but it's about, okay, you're thirsty, let me give you something to drink. Mm -hmm. You need a job, let's see, what kind of skills do you have? What kind of transferable skills? Because right now you're making, say, five, $6,000 a day on the corner. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, and with that, you've got uh, you've got 16 corners that are producing this, and out of that 16 corners, you got 14 people that are working those 16 corners. So, you you're a manager, mm -hmm. uh, and and you know you know how to distribute things, mm -hmm. you know how to purchase things, mm -hmm. uh, you know how to get people motivated to do some stuff. So, how do we take those skills now and make them productive? Mm -hmm. And and it, as the church. That's not a hard thing for us to do because we're not talking about me as an individual doing it. We're talking about even a small church, 10 or 15 people saying, let's put together a plan and help Mr. Jones out of this situation so that he can take care of his family and it can be productive now. And he doesn't have to worry about uh, carrying a gun all the time, mm. watching his back. Making sure that you know his product is being stole or is being cut in a place or it's going to kill somebody or all of the kinds of things that we see that's going on in our communities, because these people are not dumb. Mm -hmm. They have they are smart. Yes, they are resourceful. Yes. They they have a skill set that that is uh, in many instances uh, just as good as the person who sits up in Lily and is the CEO. Absolutely, the CEO yes. Over there. So all of those things, I think. When we start to do that as the body of Christ, mm -hmm. then we can start to see the kind of uh, development in our communities that's going to be a blessing and not a curse. Uh, and, and so meeting that need is going to do that. When we, when we don't meet the need, when we don't have a vision, uh, when we don't consult God, when we don't submit to his will, all of that now causes great chaos uh, because the one who stirs up the most trouble is the one who is incorrigible. And there's only one that's incorrigible. And, and so he's going to be taken care of in the future, but right now he's available to anyone who wants to submit to his will. So we have to be the ones that go out and present the will of the Father, uh, the will of Yeshua Jesus, our, our Lord and Savior, mm -hmm. to say, if you submit to him, this is, this is the kind of life you can have. Because mm -hmm. that one comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but the one I'm telling you about, he comes to bring you abundant life. There's so many things, again, I'd love to jump in on all of this stuff. 
you know, the issue of where there's no vision, the people perish, that Hebrew word meaning revelation. God's word gives us the basis Absolutely. for how we think Absolutely. about this. Absolutely. And then I think about some of the folks that we've had in here on the show. I think about purposeful design, mm-hmm. about a wonderful group of men who are building furniture for office buildings in Indianapolis who are coming out of as returning citizens. Then, of course, I think about Richard Samuels and uh, the Hope Center down in the southeast corner of Indianapolis. I mean, we could go on and on here. Um, and, by the way, I have to say to you that part of the time you were talking, I was thinking about how am I going to get him to Boca. These guys <laughs> need, to get, need to hear hey, this voice. I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing. I, I hear what you're saying. And, I'm, in fact, this afternoon, I have to tell everybody, this afternoon – I'm going to be calling my administrator to see if there's any way they can uh, peel away some bills, you know, to make this thing happen. So uh, last last thing, we always ask everybody to do this, 30 seconds, mm-hmm. 30 seconds. Okay. What do you want everybody to walk away with today? That Christ is the answer for every situation that we face, every challenge. He is the answer. It, it seems trite. Uh, it seems like a, a, a cliche, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way I could have done the things that I've been able to do over these last 30 years without Jesus Christ in my life. Mm. There's mm-hmm. no way. Uh, I could not. You know, people say, well, you must be pretty smart to be able to stay. No, I wasn't. Mm. I wasn't. I was submissive mm. to a point. And, and here's, the, here's the other thing. I wasn't perfect in that submission. Mm. Uh, there were times when when I didn't do what I knew I should have done mm-hmm. for Christ, but He never left me. He's yep. faithful in every situation, and so it may look like devastation. Mm. It may look like this. Hey, this is the end. It's over. Mm-hmm. But it's never mm-hmm. over with Him. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lazarus was dead for four years, uh, four mm-hmm. days. Wow! And there and. You go. He got back, and then, and and I'll probably run on my 30 seconds, but then when (laughs) when he came back, it said that Christ came, but they didn't just come to see Christ. Mm -hmm. They came to see Lazarus, Mm -hmm. too. And so the Pharisees said, we're going to kill Jesus, but Mm -hmm. we also got to kill that fellow. Yeah, yeah. It makes a, <laughs> makes, makes, makes a whole big difference, doesn't yes, it? Oh, yes. my so, word. So it, even, even when we do what God calls us to do, mm-hmm. we're going to face challenges. Yeah. But you know what? It's worth it. There you go. It's worth it. That's a great last word. You've been listening to Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We come to you every Wednesday morning from 10 until noon. And we are uh, always interested in having guests in that, uh, like Brian Reeder, Chief of Staff at IMPD, who are doing good, Titus 3, 1, 8, and 14, in the Indianapolis community. Do not hesitate to hit me up with ideas that you might have. Uh, my email is eckel, E-C-K-E-L, 1957 at Gmail. I'm all over social media. Uh, shoot me a message. Uh, happy to do those kinds of things. And remember in your prayers today, Dr. Clyde Posley in the ER this morning, uh, concerned for him uh, finding out what's going on in his life wow. uh, after this show is over. Thank you, Brian, for being here with Thank us today. Thank you so today. much for having me. I appreciate uh, it. It's been great. And it I, has, man. been good. I desperately want to make sure that this relationship continues. And, frankly, I want to have you back on the show again. Well, so, uh, like I said, I'll be retiring soon, so yeah. I have plenty of time. <laughs> plenty of time. All right, man. I'm taking you up on it. <laughs> Listen to Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNext.tv. We'll be back next Wednesday at 10.